Good evening, everyone. God bless you. We greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to come no other way. It's a joy to be here. It always is. I, I say that well aware that I've really only been here one time. Uh, for Bible school, I stopped by one other time. But many of you have come our way. And we've been together in other places, and it's been a blessing. And so I trust our being together this week, tonight, starting us off, will be a divine appointment from God for, for all of us. Because there's always higher ground. We love the kingdom of God. We love, we love to be separate from this world. We love the word of God. We love to be with the people of God. But we also know that there are challenges in the kingdom of God. There are challenges of relationship. There's challenges of doctrine. But I'll just tell you, there's really nowhere that I'd rather work through challenges than in the kingdom of God. I mean, this is where we're loved. This is where we're understood. This is where God wants what's best for us. There's just no place I'd rather work through challenges than in the kingdom of God. And in coming here, I was just thinking I had so many thoughts, many varied emotions even, and scriptures, and just different things on our heart. And I just trust that, and I'm sure you've had them too, but I just trust all of this, we can just find the balance of, of it all, and that it would be to the edification of the body. And to the glory of God. You know, Paul was very zealous. If you read his comments, his desire about his preaching, he wanted it to be unto edification. The building up of the body. God is for us. He's not against us. I, I, I always like the song that my wife and I had sung at our wedding. You know, we are one in the bond of love. We are two serving God above. We are three with Jesus we are for each other. We are one in the bond of love. You know, God is for us. And many times when there's, when you ever disciplined your child, were you against the child? When you blessed the child, was it hard for you to bless them? No, we're for our children. That's the way God is toward us. And I want, I trust that's the way we are toward each other, that we could be a blessing. <clears throat> One scripture that has been on our mind, we were thought about a lot as we were thinking about coming here. I just want to mention it now. And it goes like this. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I just thought about that. That's an amazing statement. It's so true. It's a good meditation. You know, we hear it sometimes that when it's all said and done, there's more said than done. And that's true with, with man. But that's not true in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not in word. Not in word only. But it's in power. We do speak. You know, Paul said, it is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. And Paul said, we also believe, therefore speak. But Peter admonishes us, if any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. And it's because the kingdom of God is it's not just talk. There's power there. Much is said in the kingdom of God, but big things are done. The kingdom of God is a life-changing kingdom. Think about it. This is the kingdom where God 
made provision for us to be born again. He gave us power to become sons of God. You know, for the destruction of the flesh, for the death of the old man, and for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes the Bible just comes right out and says just amazing things. And it says that we should be filled with all the fullness of God. I've thought about that. I just thought, you know, how full is God? You know, how, how much is there to God? How, how big is He? And we know that the heaven of heavens cannot contain Him. And it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> That's just an amazing thing. I think about what it says in Romans. Romans tells us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And sometimes I wonder if we've really got a hold of all those things. David said, I think in Psalm 62, he said, Our God is a God that gives power to His people. God wants to do that. He wants to bless us that way. So the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And we come with that scripture on our heart. But we also come this evening with another scripture. And maybe it's one that brings a little balance to that. And in some ways, I really don't even want balance to that. I want to experience all the power that God has for his people. I want the reality of that. But the truth of the matter is, we are in the flesh. And Jesus said, Whosoever shall fall upon this rock shall be broken. And I'll tell you what I think that means. I think that means that whoever comes to Jesus Christ, and I, I trust that's each one of us here tonight, but whoever comes, and it doesn't say most people who come, this is for everyone. Whoever comes to Jesus Christ, whoever is in Christ, shall be broken. So there's a call to humility. To us tonight in the kingdom of God and it's for all of us. It's not just for the men. It's for, it's for you sisters. It's, it's for the youth that are here, that are in Christ. God has given a mandate. Those who are in Christ shall be broken and it's, it's that the power may be of God and not of us and that the glory would be to God and not to us. So that's the subject that we'd like to hold before us this evening. I believe that God has a work that He would like to do here in Iowa. I believe there's a work that God has to do in me while I'm here. There's always higher ground for the people of God. Paul, in all of his witnessing, in all of his healing, in all the grace that God bestowed upon him, what did he say? He said, I haven't attained yet. There's still higher ground. And tonight, the higher ground is the low road. There's a call to humility in the kingdom of God. And I want us to know that God has a work that He wants to do in each of our hearts individually and in us collectively as a fellowship. There is a work that God wants to do. And I want you to know something tonight. God can't do it unless we're broken. Think of it. Until our will is surrendered, until our life is on the altar before Him, brothers and sisters and youth, that is when God has liberty to move. God doesn't move in behalf of sinners. God moves in mercy toward them. But God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. 
And when our heart is broken before a holy God, I want to give us what I think would be a scriptural guarantee tonight. And that is when your heart is broken. If tonight you give God liberty, you really do. You give God liberty to do whatever he wants to do. Here I am, Lord. Just do what you need to do without an agenda. When you give God that much liberty, the guarantee is, is that he will take it. And so I believe that God is here tonight. God is faithful. He wants to move. He's willing to move. But there's a call upon us tonight to humility, to give God liberty, to do what he wants to do. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the promise that you are here. Thank you for your word that we can open. Thank you for the privilege to gather in this collective capacity, Father, and that you would meet with us. Where two or three are gathered in your name, Father, we want to break our hearts, our will, our agenda. Lord, somehow make the scriptures fresh to us tonight so that we can see things maybe that we've never seen to the degree that we need to see it, never seen it before. But Father, may the lights go on this evening. May we bow in reverence before you and bring you the glory that you so deserve, Father, and take away the glory that we think we deserve and cast our crowns at the feet of our Lord tonight. Father, we pray that you would move in our midst. We don't even know the work that you need to do, but we know that we want to get ourselves out of the way so that you have liberty to do it. Have your way this evening, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Earnest prayer that God would have liberty to move. I'm going to appreciate a glass of water. If someone could. Okay. Amen. Thank you. It's here. <clears throat> the call to humility so that God has liberty to move among us. I want you to think for just a minute of the seriousness of God not being able to move in the midst of his people. That's not a normal thing. And if we know that God can't move, and we know why he can't move, we know we're hiding something in our heart. It's just a choice on our part. We can repent. We can cry out to God and clear heaven so that God has liberty to move. But many times in the, in, in the Christian life, Life comes and, and it gets kind of humdrum and it gets kind of normal and we tend to forget where we need to be in, in relationship to a holy God and for God to move and we can literally be lullabied into not realizing that God isn't moving in our life. And we can fall into this thing about believing in God but God isn't really moving in our heart. He's not really answering our prayers. And I want you to know this evening, it's not normal that God doesn't move in the midst of his people. It's not normal that God doesn't answer prayers. It's not normal that the people of God can't figure out where God is. God, there, and many times there's something in our life that needs to be made right. There's something forbidding God to move. I read a story one time about a little black boy. He was, he was on the steps of a church and he was crying and, and the, the, because the door was locked. 
And it was a church full of white people and they didn't want any black people to come in and so they'd lock the door. And they were sitting in there having church and the windows were open and the sweet songs of Zion were coming out of the windows and, and the message came forth and the word of God was opened. And this little boy was outside on the steps. He was crying. And Jesus came walking up the street. And he sees this little boy on the steps of the church. And he, he stops and he gets down to the little boy's level. And he looks at him very kindly. And he says, my son, why are you crying? And the little boy says, because I want in. And they won't let me in. And Jesus looked at the little boy and he took him by the hand. And he said, don't feel too bad, my son. They won't let me in either. And yet the songs of Zion were coming forth, and the word of God was opened. There are things in our life sometimes that take away God's liberty to move in our behalf. Think of the seriousness of God holding back. And sometimes it, it requires a wake-up call. Sometimes it requires repentance. But we want God to move in our life. And not only do we want it, God wants to move in our life. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect before him. God's just looking for an opportunity where he can move. And so I, I just want to lift up the call to humility tonight. Many times God cannot move. Because he knows if he does, he's not going to get the glory. And that, that is a stop for the, for the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a child of God even. So I think about humility, humble, even the word human. All these words come from the same root word. You know what it is? It's humus. Earth. Dust of earth. That's what God told Adam. Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. God loves to move where there's lowliness of mind, where there's meekness of heart. But when man, when this dust, begins to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, the Spirit of God will not move. Pride stops God moving in anyone. And many times there's Different kinds of pride, but one kind of pride is spiritual pride. But spiritual pride is still pride. And I not only marvel how pride stops God moving in a life, I marvel at how humility just opens the door for God to come. I've marveled. I've looked several examples through the scriptures. It's kind of amazing. I'll just give you a couple examples. One of them is Manasseh. Manasseh was a horribly wicked king. He provoked the Lord to more anger than any king before him. I think it says he was a very wicked man. And God got fed up with him. And God sent the prophet to Manasseh. And he said, you are going to die for the iniquities of your life and the way you've provoked the Lord. You're going to die. You're going to get sick on your bed and you're not going to rise again. And when Manasseh heard that, if you remember the story, he just broke his heart. He just wept. It says he, he fasted and prayed, I believe. He just humbled himself. And God looked down. And if you remember that story, and this is amazing. Manasseh, this wicked man, God said to the prophet, he says, Do you see how Manasseh is humbling his heart before me? Because he humbled himself, I'm going to let him live. It's amazing how God moved even on behalf of Manasseh 
in going against the very thing that he said he would do. I mean, God marvelously moves in our behalf when there's an humbling. And it's, it's, they're really all through the scriptures. There's another king kind of in the same category. It's Ahab. We know that Ahab was a very, very wicked man, married probably the wickedest woman that ever lived, Jezebel. And she ran the house. She was the head of his house, and he submitted to it. I mean, everything was wrong with Ahab. And you know the story of Naboth. He wanted Naboth's vineyard, and they raised up false prophets, and they killed Naboth. And Ahab went over there to take possession of that vineyard. And God sent Elisha the prophet, or Elijah the prophet to him and said, Ahab, because of this sin, because you've killed Naboth, I'm going to take away the kingdom. I'm going to take away your family. I'm going to destroy all of your posterity. And when Ahab heard that, Ahab just broke. <laughs> he just repented. He, he went softly, I believe it says, and fasted and just got quiet before the Lord. And God said to Elijah, he said, do you see how Ahab has humbled his heart before me? Because he humbled himself this way, I'm not going to bring this to pass in his day. I'm going to do this in his son's day. And God forbid that we would pass on that kind of heritage to our children. But look at the mercy that God had through the humility that Ahab showed at that time. And, and this is a pattern that is true for all of us. It doesn't matter how vile our lives have been, and I'm not saying this to give anybody liberty to be vile, but I'm just saying when there's, a, when there's repentance, look at how God moves in our behalf, and how much more when there's not a wicked and a vile life. But when we see something in our life that prevents God from moving, and we repent, and we come before God, and we cry out for mercy, look how He moves. It works both ways. You think about King Saul. You know, when he was humble, I think the Bible says, when thou wast little in thine own eyes, God chose Saul. He moved in behalf of Saul. He turned all the hearts of the people towards Saul. He brought victory to Saul. God was just simply behind Saul until his heart was lifted up in pride and impressed with Saul and his reputation. And at that point, God just rose up and, and fought against Saul. It's a sad story, the end of Saul, is it not? I mean, when Saul rose up and he finally slew the priests of the Lord and basically died in the house of a witch of Endor, it, it's one of the saddest stories about a man chosen of God who became lifted up in pride. And so I want to challenge us here at Iowa. I challenge myself. Have we found the humility that we need to have that gives God liberty to move. The, the humility that when God does move, He gets all the glory. We lean on Him completely and we give Him all the glory. So I want to begin this evening by giving you the illustration of a vessel. I want to talk about the potter and the clay and the clay being made into a vessel. <clears throat> The scriptures refer to man, to us, as a vessel. Vessels of clay we are. We're referred to as earthen vessels. Paul spoke of possessing this vessel unto sanctification and honor, I believe. So what is a vessel? A vessel is a useful tool 
it's an instrument, but it's made for one purpose only, and that is a vessel is made to hold something else other than itself. It's a container. That's what a vessel is. It's, it's made to contain and to hold something else besides itself. When the potter places the clay upon the potter's wheel, it's nothing but a lump of clay. That's all it is. And a lump of clay, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but a lump of clay cannot hold anything else besides itself. You can pour water or something or anything on a lump of clay and it's just going to run off and go everywhere. Because a lump of clay is so full of itself that it can't hold anything else at all. But when the hands of a potter come down on that lump of clay, and I don't know if you ever noticed, if you ever watched a potter, it's so interesting. There's so many lessons in, in a potter working with clay. But one of them is when the hands of a potter come down upon a lump of clay, and as that potter's wheel turns, there's always one hand of the potter on the outside of the lump of clay. And the other hand always comes down on the inside. That's just the way it works. A potter always works on the inside and the outside together on a lump of clay when molding a vessel. He, if he only works on the inside, and we hear that today a lot, don't we? Just work on the inside. So we're going to work on But a potter, if he wants to make a vessel out of a lump of clay, he works on the inside and the outside together to gain his desired end. It's the only way it'll happen. And many times it takes the natural to teach us about the spiritual. But as the hands of the potter press down and, and, and the, his hands begin to build walls out of this lump of clay, and he begins to form a vessel out of this lump of clay, and, and as the walls get higher and higher, the, the lump of clay just gets emptier and emptier. And, and as the clay yields itself as soft clay in the master's hands, those walls just continue to build. He just brings them up, and the higher and higher they go, and the emptier and the emptier the vessel gets. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do with our lives to make us into a vessel fit for the Master's use, a vessel unto honor, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I tell you this evening, you can pour, I'm just going to say this for an illustration, all the Holy Spirit there is on a lump of clay and it won't retain any of it. It's just going to all run off and be lost. But a vessel can be filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> and any honor that goes to the vessel really just goes to the one who made it. It goes to the hands that designed it. Or to the thing that it's being filled with. That brings honor to a vessel. I think about the alabaster box of ointment. Remember, what, what gave that thing its value? Was it the alabaster box? There may have been some value there, but really it's just the container. It's the spikenard, very precious, I believe, that was in it that made it worth such a fortune. But when that vessel is broken or when it is poured out, and think about this, this is us now called to be a vessel. When the vessel is poured out, when it's broken, it doesn't complain because that's what it's made for. Here's a scripture that I really appreciate. <clears throat> we'll probably look at it this evening. It's Paul to the Philippians. He says, Yea, and if I be offered 
And that just means poured out. Paul says, if I be poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Paul just said, if I be poured out, if my vessel just be emptied, if everything I am is, is just done for you, and there's nothing left for me, and it's just poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith, what did he say? I feel bad, I kind of like to have a little of that for me. No, he said, I joy and rejoice with you all. I just want to challenge you. Is that the way you feel toward each other here? Is that what's in your heart? Paul said, I joy and rejoice with you all. And he said, I know that you joy and rejoice with me. He knew that they felt the same toward him. I think Paul said one place, I know that you'd have plucked out your eyes and gave them unto me if you could have. That's, that's poured out. It would be for me. Think of it. I know that you would have plucked out your eyes and gave them unto me. It just... For the furtherance of the gospel, for the kingdom of God's sake, I would do that. And I, I think many times if we had more that heart for each other, for the kingdom of God, for others, it doesn't have to be us that gets you know, it done or gets the glory. But if we could pray that way for someone else, give that kind of support, what God would do. God told Ananias, he said, Paul is a chosen vessel unto me. And I, I, I want you to know, brothers, sisters, youth here tonight, everyone here is a chosen vessel unto the Lord. There's no one here called to be a lump of clay. We need to get out of Adam and into Christ. And I, I just love the verse in 1 Peter 5. We're going to go there a little bit later if we have time, but it just, I want to quote this part now. It says, submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That just sounds like a potter and clay to me. It just sounds like the hand of God is just coming down. Submit yourself to that. And what's the outcome? We're going to look at that tonight. He will exalt you in due time. That's a pattern that you find in the scriptures. God wants to do a work in each of our lives, and I believe that He'll never be able to do it until we're soft clay in the Master's hands. Until we hear that call to humility. I believe the subject before us tonight, humility is a big thing with God. And one reason I believe it's a big thing with God is because God wants to move in your behalf. In this place. And God knows that he can't do it until we come to that place of humility. just want you to think of some other words that go with it. Brokenness. You know, the flesh doesn't like any of these words. Broken. Lowliness of mind. Each esteeming other better than yourself. You can't do that without tremendous humility. Meekness, a contrite heart. You know, contrite just means broken. It means crushed. It's the low road. It's humility. Able to be admonished. Able to flow. Willing to suffer. Willing to suffer wrongfully. I tell you, 
Brothers and sisters here tonight, suffering wrongfully. I feel like sometimes that's almost a lost art in the kingdom of God, in the world around us. You know what Paul said about suffering wrongfully? And suffering wrongfully is when you haven't done anything wrong. You've done things right. You've been misunderstood. You've been falsely accused. And, you know, the disciples rejoiced when that happened. But... The kingdom of God today wants justice. I didn't do that. And they want the world to know they didn't do that. And they speak out and suffering wrongfully, taking it patiently. Here's what Paul said about suffering wrongfully. He said, Christ left us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Think of it. Here's one challenge you. Are you willing to suffer wrongfully? We can let this be a self-examination here tonight. Are you really willing for someone else to be exalted when it should have been you and you've been put down when you didn't do anything wrong? Can you take that before the Lord and not have to straighten everybody out? It's not the way of man. It's the way of God. Christ left us an example that we should follow in His steps. But being poured out, willing to serve, willing to sacrifice, going beyond the call of duty. It's, it's just the mindset of submission. Willing to be under. It's our calling, brother. And that's what the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for. Many times we think, God, I'm in a hopeless situation here. Could you help me? But I tell you, God is not... His eyes do not run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a hopeless situation that He can help in. There's many hopeless situations where God does not move because He cannot move. There are many, many, many hopeless situations and God will not intervene. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is perfect, someone who's humble, someone where He's going to get the glory when He moves. And so many times we think there's hope only if we can see the hope. But that's not how God measures where he begins to move. God moves in hopeless situations. <laughs> the Bible's full of them. Daniel in the lion's den. How much hope is there there? Well, this is where God loves to move. God is looking for a heart. So if we're in a, a hopeless situation, a hard situation... Hey, don't look at the situation. Look at your heart. Is God able to come into my marriage? Is God able to come into our fellowship? Is God able to come into my child's heart? You know, there's many situations where parents pray for a child and it looks hopeless. But I tell you, God can move. There's a call to humility that gives God liberty. To move in our behalf. I have a scripture that I want to hold before us this evening. And I know that it's, it's in there a couple times. It's in James and Peter. It's very common. But it just goes like this. God resists the proud. And he gives grace unto the humble. And, and we could spend all night on how God resists the proud. But I don't want to do that. I want to encourage us how God moves in behalf of the humble. I want to think for just a minute about what it means when God gives grace. 
I want to think about how much grace he has to give from, how willing he, he is to give it, and how willing he is to move in our behalf. <clears throat> when God is giving us grace, that just sounds like God is moving in our behalf, does it not? And that's what God wants to do in every area in our life. God wants to answer prayer. He wants to give strength for every situation that we have. There's a hymn that I, Annie Johnson Flint wrote it. It goes like this. He giveth more grace. That, that's just giving grace. I think about giving grace as we read this. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. You know, we're never going to have more trouble than God can handle. And he finally just says, well, that one's too big. We don't ever get there. When God gives grace, his grace is bigger. That's what the chorus here says. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. And that's the encouraging thing we have is that the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. His power has no boundary known unto man for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That, that's how God gives grace. That's for the humble heart where God can move, where God knows he will get the glory. I want this to be an encouragement for us tonight to pray. I want this to be an encouragement for us to break our heart before a holy God. I tell you, I, I've heard that it's dangerous to pray for patience. And it's dangerous to pray for humility because of what God might send for us to get it. But I tell you, I'm coming to the place where I pray for humility. Because I want the grace of God to be bestowed upon my life. The things he sends to teach me these things, it's going to be worth it all. When he pours his grace upon us, there is a call to humility that's going to make God big in our lives, I believe, this evening. I want to think also a little bit about resisting. When God is resisting you, now, I, I don't know how that sounds to you, brother, but that just sounds to me like God is fighting you. God is fighting against you. I think about the scripture of Gamaliel, I believe it was. He said to his fellow men there on the Sanhedrin one time, he said, hold on here, gentlemen. He says, take heed what you do to these men, lest happily you be found to fight even against God. Can you think about fighting against God? Just, just think about that for a minute. Just think of the foolishness of it. But if we're resisting God in some area, holding some commandment to the side, refusing to bow our heart in some area, there's lack of humility that causes that to happen. There's some pride in our heart, I believe. I just want to tell you that if we're fighting against God, you're not going to get anywhere. But if God is fighting against you, he will get somewhere. I mean, there's just a kind of a warning here to look out. Lest happily you be found 
to fight even against God. But if there's pride in our heart, it's not even totally us fighting against God. It's God fighting against us. And I just want to assure you this evening, if, if God is resisting you, you're going to lose. That's another guarantee. I want to give you another guarantee. If God is pouring grace on your life, you're going to win. That's the other side. That's the invitation tonight. I tell you, I need that. I need that in my home. I need it in my marriage. I need it in our church fellowship. I, I need it everywhere I turn. We need God to move. We can't afford to be without it. This thing of pride is, is so ridiculous. It just is. Man, nothing but dust, humus, just kind of blows himself up. It makes me think some of the uh, children's lesson that a brother did for the children one time. He was just illustrating pride, and he took a balloon, and he started blowing it up, and it got kind of big. And, and the balloon was talking, saying, oh, look at me. Look at everything that I can do. This is really impressive, isn't it? He'd blow a little bit more in the balloon, and it would get a little bit bigger. And, and the balloon kept speaking about how amazing that thing was, and it was just getting bigger. We were all getting nervous because we knew what was going to happen, and all of a sudden, bang, there it went. This big old balloon. And the man who was giving the children's lesson, he just he found a, a piece of it over here, and he picked it up, and he found one over here. Just little old pieces. He put them in his hand, he showed the children, he said, yeah, big balloon. He said, that's really all there was to it. That's really all it was. It was just talk. It was just a bunch of air. And you know, pride isn't always as obvious as we wish it were. Pride can be a very, very subtle thing. Pride can just simply be what makes it hard for you to say you're sorry to your companion or to your child or to your brother or sister, whatever the case may be. Pride keeps people from apologizing from their heart. They, pride sees the fault in other people. <laughs> pride's pretty sharp at faults in other people. Humility can see your own need. Sometimes it's nothing but pride that keeps you from hearing someone else's heart. Pride always has to say how it feels, expressing its heart. Shut someone off when they're expressing their heart to straighten them out on, on where something, the blind spot they didn't see or something. And it's, it's just an interruption. Pride always justifies itself. It just can't listen to someone else's reasoning. That's pride. And I'm telling you, some of these things, we, we, we're in the flesh. We struggle with these things. I do. I've prayed for mercy. I've prayed for victory in these areas. But these things come from pride. Sometimes it's just simply pride that keeps you from going to the altar. When the finger of God lands very clearly on your heart. Why don't you go? I don't want anybody to think, you know, that there's really something wrong here. Hey, humility doesn't care. All humility cares about is getting right, being sensitive to the finger of God. Pride can be a very, very subtle thing. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. <clears throat> I have a <clears throat> couple poems here I'd like to read. I even have a song I'd like to sing together. 
All of these things are just, I want to be an encouragement to us, just to lead us to that humble place where God can move. That's our desire. I just really have a desire in my heart that God would have liberty to move and answer your prayers and bring joy and bring victory in each heart and each home. <clears throat> Here where I did not want to go, Humiliation's valley low. A road of breaking, Lord, I pray, is there for me no other way? But he with gentle guiding hand showed me his footprints in the sand, showed me his cross, then bade me go. Humiliation's valley low. The yielded heart, the place of tears, the place I would not go for years, but now I go. I follow on, the world and self completely gone. This man made a choice. And he said, content to walk this lowly sod, for here I find my place with God. Such peace the world will never know. And think, I did not want to go. Such mercy I have never felt. So lowly I have never knelt. But here, God's moving I have found. This is the road to higher ground. I believe that the Spirit of God can, can bring the finger of God upon our hearts and bid us to go to humble ourselves and make something right, something in our own heart. Maybe it's not even with someone else. Maybe it's just, just a proud thing in our heart of how we see ourselves and how we justify ourselves and just humble ourselves and break before a holy God. Brothers and sisters and youth, it's a joy. When a child comes to a parent in tears and says, Papa, I'm sorry, I've been resisting. I don't want any walls between us. I've just, I've been holding back. But, but I know you love me and I want to be in my place and I want to be obedient. What a joy that does to a parent's heart. And, and parents that are here, you know the joy that that does. I, I had a young man come to me. This wasn't one of my sons, but there was a young man came to me one time. And he said, Brother Dale, he said, uh, Music, that's a big thing with me. He said, it's kind of a big thing with everybody. And he said, I'm not sure that all the music I listen to is right. He said, I wondered if you'd do me a favor. He said, if I could just give you all my music, I'd like to just give you all my music. I'd like for you to listen to it. And you just give me back what you think is good for me. It will edify me in the kingdom of God. And he says, the rest, just throw it away. Would you do that for me? Was there pride in his heart? There wasn't. He wasn't holding anything back. He didn't have an agenda. And, and if your children come to you that way, what joy does it bring? Well, think about the joy that God has in his heart as a father. When we come to him and we don't have an agenda, we just say, Lord, is there anything in my life, just take a look at all of it and just give me back what draws me closer to you and just throw the rest away. Can you say that to God tonight? You know, I, I heard about a, a wife who, th there was 
101 ways to please your husband. And, and she wanted to read this book as the story goes. Uh, she, 101 ways to please your husband. And she wanted to read this book because she wanted to please her husband. And uh, there was a, a counselor there and he just said, if you really want to please your husband, just get a paper and number it, one through 101, and just leave it blank and just hand it to your husband. Let him fill it in. And then just do whatever he wants. Whoa, she said, I don't know if I can trust him. Well, I tell you, you can't trust the author of some other book either. You're not going to please your husband by doing what this person thinks you ought to do. Let your husband fill it out. And I just want to challenge you. Can you take a piece of paper tonight, number it, one through 101, and just hand it to God? And just say, God, you fill it in. And give it back. I'm going to do whatever is on this paper. That's humility. That's submission. That is when God can move. Can you imagine if you got that paper back and just made that thing a priority? Then I mean everything else was just not a priority. And, and that's the way you walked. And that's the way you lived. What would God do? Would he just ignore that? No, that's liberty for God to move. And that's what we're interested in tonight. So the road to humility is the road to higher ground. I believe it is, but I also believe that it's a place where God will never let us leave. Because when we leave the place of humility, like Saul, King Saul did, pride sets in. I want to just turn here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a couple verses here that I just want to read. I just want to show you that God makes choices. When God looks down, when his eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, God makes choices. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I just want to read here in just a few verses, maybe read in 26 through 29. It says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. These men want glory for themselves. These men don't find the way of the cross. And, and Paul says here to the Corinthians, you can see this, brethren. But God hath chosen, God made a choice. He hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Isn't that amazing? God who is so holy, God who is so wise would choose the foolish, not the ridiculous things, but the, the simple things, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God chooses the weak things so that he can show himself strong. That's where the eyes of God land. Isn't that amazing? And 28, verse 28, and base things of the world. And that base there, that's not lewd and evil. That's just lowly. That, that's humble things. Base things of the world and things which are despised. Men look down on these things. You're not going to be exalted in man's eyes. Hath God chosen? Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. These are choices. 
that God specifically makes. It says here, God hath chosen the foolish things, and God hath chosen the weak things, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. God makes a choice. And you don't need to turn here, but I just want to read to you a couple more passages of Scripture. Isaiah 58, 57, 15. I think we're all familiar with these. But let me just read this. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. And God says, I dwell in two places here. I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. That's where God makes his choice to dwell and to move, to revive. He's moving here to revive the heart, the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God moves here. He resists the proud, but God moves on behalf of the humble. Over here a couple chapters in, in 66 verses 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build unto me and where is the place of my rest? In other words, where can I find rest? Where, where is my comfort zone? Where can I operate as God? For all those things have mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembleth at my word. Think of it. I mean, this, is, this isn't just some crazy idea. This is God. And this is the calling that is upon us. It's just an invitation for God to move that we would break our heart in humility before him. I think Micah 6, 8, you know, what doth... He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And that's the only place God will walk. That's the only place God will move. That's the only church God will fill is where there's humility before him. Let's turn and read. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. We can turn there and read this passage of Scripture. Just beginning at the, we'll just begin right at the beginning and read through verse about 18. This is a beautiful passage. It's about the humility of Christ. I just marvel how God, such a high and holy God, so great, so unlimited in power, unlimited in knowledge, is an humble God. Isn't that a marvelous thing? I tell you, we can rejoice. That, that's what makes God reach out to man is because that's where his heart is drawn. It is to humble things. <clears throat> Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, goes like this. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Those things are all the result of pride. They just are. And, and Paul says, God's not going to move there. Don't let anything be done that way. Through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, there's our calling. Let each esteem other better than themselves. That's a marvelous mindset. 
what that would do to the kingdom of God if we could just get to that place in our mind. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God is not asking us to do something that he himself did not do when Jesus was here. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Think of it. The, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross, does it really make sense that we have any other mindset in us? This is talking about willing to die for others, brethren. And these things have a result. And we want to look at this thing a little closer here as soon as we read it. But wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, in other words, with humility. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Those are the result of pride. Don't do that. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And here's this verse that I so appreciate. Paul just says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. I just think that's such a beautiful picture. There's several illustrations, natural illustrations that just teach us about the spiritual. Yea, and if I be offered. That's just poured out. If our vessel is broken and, and the contents are poured out, that, that's what a vessel's made for. That God can use us. And I think about being poured out. You know, there's a song, and I'd actually like to sing that song. We'll just stop and sing it. I think you know it. Will you be poured out like wine? You familiar with that little, sweet little song? It's just God speaking to us, isn't it? It's just a question from God. Will you be poured out like wine upon the altar for me? And I just want you to think about what it means for grape juice or wine to be poured out. You know what it means? There's no grapes in grape juice. All grapes have lost their identity in the cup. They've been crushed. They gave everything they had. They gave everything that they were made for. And they sacrificed it all. And they lost their identity in the cup. That's the only way you're going to get grape juice. That's the only way God is going to get children where he can move. 
And so God is asking us a question. Will you be poured out like wine up on the altar for me? And not feel bad, not do it grudgingly, not doing it with regrets? Will you be broken like bread to feed the hungry? Will you be so one with me? Isn't that a picture of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ and his Father? They're just so one. Jesus is calling to us, will you be so one with me that you will do just as I will? And, and that's the desire of Christ is just my Father's will. That's all that counted in his life. Will you be so one with me that you will do just as I will? Will you be light and life and love, my word fulfill? Let's just sing that song. It's, it's, why don't we close our eyes when we sing that song and just picture God asking us this question. The second verse is our answer. And it just sets the atmosphere for God to move in our midst. So let's sing. Let's close our eyes and sing. <clears throat> Will you be poured out like wine upon the altar for me? Will you be broken like bread to feed the hungry? Will you be so one with me that you will do just as I will? Will you be light and life and love my word fulfill? Yes, I'll be poured out like wine upon the altar for you. Yes, I'll be broken like bread to feed the hungry. Yes, I'll be so one with you that you will do just as you will. Yes, I'll be light and life and love your word fulfill. I know that that is God speaking to us. I trust that is us speaking to God. God will move. <clears throat> I want us to know this evening that humility is not weakness. Don't get in your mind that humility is thinking, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, I can't do anything. <laughs> that is not humility. <clears throat> I'm not worth anything. Many people get into that category, and, and it's, it's not something God can use. Meekness is not weakness. Humility is giving something your all. Tremendous effort and thought into it. You know, the scripture says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's humility. It's giving it all you've got. It's just taking your focus off of who's doing it. I've heard that there's no limit to what you can do in the kingdom of God if you don't care who gets the credit. Think about it. Take your focus off of yourself and just see what you can do for the kingdom of God if you don't have to, as the saying goes, toot your horn. When you're tooting your horn, God is not getting any glory. It's reversing the glory from Him and bringing it back our way. Humility actually is a strength. It's a mindset. It's a lowly mindset. It's the mind of Christ. And I want to consider here 
that we read in Philippians chapter 2, I want to consider the humility of Christ. And when you read this humility, you find very clearly in this passage that the humility of Christ was not that he was weak and that he you know, wasn't worth anything and couldn't do anything. That's not here in this passage. The humility was that his will was laid down. He was free to give his all with heart and soul to his Father's will. His will was consumed into his Father's will. And I want to challenge you, is your will consumed into the Father's will? I want to challenge the children that are here this evening. Is your will consumed into your Father's will right here upon this earth? I believe that's a beautiful picture. God looks down and he sees that. If he sees a child that just wants to do what his daddy says, I mean, he's just right there to do what his daddy says and God is looking down. You know what God says? God says, I like that fella. He's just like my son. I'm going to use that fella. And as that child grows, God pours his anointing, his calling, his moving upon that child because there's humility there. His will is consumed into the will of his father. That's what God is looking for. The, the Lord Jesus Christ, his will was consumed. He went down, down. He became the servant of all. But he didn't have the mindset that I can't do anything. I tell you, did he ever do things while he was here? Amen. He did things that man had never done, never seen done, never knew could be done. And Jesus did it in humility because his will was consumed into the will of his father. He went all the way down. He became servant of all. He became sin for us who do no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was for us that he had in mind. I want to take a look here. It's just a marvelous picture of humility in Christ. <clears throat> it says in verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation. You know, that doesn't mean, again, that he didn't do anything. He did marvelous things. But he made of himself no reputation. I want to challenge you for just a minute here. Is that the way you think? Like Christ? When you do something good, you know, what, what does man do? We see it all the time. He's, he's asked to write a book. He wants to write a book about how God used him for this great work and how God moved here. And they, they write in there that we want God to have all the glory. But I tell you who the author of the book is and they get some glory. And it hinders the moving of God. They're asked to write a book. They're asked to travel around and give lectures and tell how God moved in their behalf. It happens. And it's not the pattern of Christ. What's the pattern of Christ? When Christ did a marvelous thing, when he gave sight to the blind, what did he say to them? When he, when he gave strength into the legs of the lame, what did he say to them? He said, see that thou tell no man. Just give God the glory. You just go home and give God the glory and show what great things God hath done. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's different than we think in the world around us. Than the, the professing world of Christianity around us does not think that way. And it hinders the liberty that God has to move. Think of it. <clears throat> we want some of the credit. I think about the story 
about the man who was, he was walking down the river and he was checking with some fishermen to see if they were catching any fish. And he came to the first one and asked if he's catching any fish. And the fellow said, no, they, they just don't seem to be biting. He had his <clears throat> uh, tackle there and he was trying all kinds of lures and bait and he hadn't caught any fish. And he walked on down the river to another man. He hadn't caught any fish either. About four or five fishermen, no fish. And so the man just decided the fish aren't biting today. But then he came to a, an older gentleman. He was standing by the river. His creel was full. There were fish laying on the ground. He was reeling one in. It was just, I mean, it was just a picture of success. And the man, boy, his eyes got big. And he looked at the old gentleman and he just says, I thought the fish weren't biting today, but uh, that's not right. He, what is your secret to catching fish? And the old man said, if you want to catch fish, there's three things that you need to remember. He said, the first thing is you need to keep yourself out of sight. And he said, the second thing, and it's just to emphasize the first. The first, you need to keep yourself out of sight. And he said, second, you need to get yourself further out of sight. And then he said, number three, you need to let your bait be seen. And then he nudged him and he says, I'll tell you, it works for catching men too. And I'll tell you tonight, it works for the moving of God. If we could get ourselves out of the way and let our bait be seen, bring glory to God. Let Jesus Christ be seen in our life and get all the glory. It's just a, an invitation, I believe, for God to come. <clears throat> he made himself of no reputation. He was found in the form of a servant. Isn't that amazing that the King of Kings, the Lord of glory, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And he was made in the likeness of men. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if you've really ever thought about that. But Jesus is God. His glory is above the heavens. And he came down and he became a man. I don't know if you've ever thought about how vulnerable he became or made himself. Is that the right word? Just think about it that way. When he became a man. You know, we might be a human and God has put all things under our feet. Something that's very, very lowly. I, I like being kind to creatures, but think of something very helpless to uh, maybe a worm. Think of a worm. The worms on the ground. I, I might want to be kind to worms and I want, might want to be sure I you know, step around them and, and just not, uh, I mean, I go fishing, I'm, I'm normal, but I, I don't like to just be evil and mean to creatures. But think about someone who has enough of a burden for a worm that they would literally become a worm. Think about it. Think how vulnerable you would be if you became a worm. That's all you were down there now. And the other worms rejected you. I mean, Jesus, when he came to his own, his own received him not. Think of the unselfishness. Think of the burden that he had just to reach. I'm going to say the other worms. He was made in the likeness of men. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Brothers, we need to follow the example of Christ. Man wants to exalt himself. Instead of going down, he wants to go up. He wants to be thought of as greater than he is. 
But the call of God is to go down. And he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's just a marvelous thing. That's just the humbling of Christ. And it's a pattern. There's two different patterns in Scripture, and this is one of them. The other one you can actually look, this is Jesus Christ. The other one is the devil himself. And it's one of pride, and there's a pattern of humility. But look what's happened here on this pattern, and it's not just for Christ. It's for us too. But this humbling of Christ, this no reputation, the form of a servant made in the likeness of men, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, in verse 9, here's what happens. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. There's an exaltation. There's answered prayer. There's God moving in our behalf. That's what First Peter 5 says. Submit yourselves unto the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. In due season, it's not just for Christ. It's a pattern for the people of God. And given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow. And every, uh, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that's everything. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And look at the reason. To the glory of God the Father. That's what God wants. That's what God deserves. That's where He's looking for an opportunity to move. Well, this will happen. That brings glory to God the Father. And if you want to see the other pattern, I realize our time is getting away here. We're going to try to bring this to a close, but if we want to turn back to Isaiah 14, I believe it is. The pattern of the, the devil himself. <clears throat> In verse 9 it says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. May that not be written for any of us. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. I'm going to read here in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, and this is just the exaltation of the devil, lifting himself up higher than he was, this balloon that was getting bigger and bigger, he said, I will ascend into heaven. And it just keeps going. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. And when the devil said that, he knew that that was the place of God. I believe in Psalms, David says, how beautiful is Mount Zion. Uh, for situation, uh, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. That's the place of God. That's the seat where God wants to sit. And Lucifer said, I'm going to sit there. How art thou cut down to the ground? He, I will exalt my throne. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And when that exaltation comes in, in any degree, this is a pattern. There's a result. And look at it. Verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man 
that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms. I mean, it's like, you know, pick up a little piece of balloon over here, a little piece over here. Is, is this all there is to him? This is what happens not only to the devil. This happens to us when we exalt ourselves more than we are. Pride is hypocrisy. Pride is lifting yourself up more than you are. That's what hypocrisy is. God hates hypocrisy. God resists pride. He fights against it. The call tonight is for God to move in our behalf. <clears throat> I think before we close, I do want to read 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm sorry for going just a little long here. I really want this message to just go with us all week, brothers and sisters and youth. Let, let's just let this stamp upon our heart and let God move as, as we go through the week. There's a call of God, I believe, upon our lives and we need this humility for God to move. In 1 Peter chapter 5, maybe just read five verses starting in verse 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Doesn't that sound like humility? That's everybody. That's young and old alike. And be clothed with humility. And that clothed there, that if you look that up in the Greek, it's talking about a, an apron. <laughs> I, I believe that's the interpretation. It, it's an apron. That, that's, that's a sign of service. You're willing to serve one another. You're willing to wash one another's feet. You're willing to get down. You know, that, you know how you wash someone's feet? You get below them. And, and that's just a, a good position to be in to serve. You're below someone. And, and it, it does powerful things in the kingdom of God. It's what the call is to here. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There's that picture of the potter. And, and here's the result of that pattern, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Maybe we'll stop reading there. I just want you to think of the different things that accompany humility. Think about honesty. You know, an humble person has no reason not to be honest. They're, they don't have any reason to hide anything. They're willing to be open. This is the call of God. The mind of a servant. You know, an humble person just is willing to serve. They don't have any reason not to. They don't feel like they're worthy to be served. And they're willing to serve others. An obedient heart. It just connects with humility. It just... Humility just brings on an obedient heart in a child. If there's a proud child, that child is turned toward what? There's things that accompany pride as well. Independence, you know, resistance, stubbornness, rebellion. That's what goes with pride. Uh, revenge even, selfishness and greedy and deceitful. All of those things just go, just look at the picture of what goes with pride and what goes with humility. Confession. It just goes with an humble heart. An humble heart doesn't have anything to hide. They're willing to just, whatever it takes to get clear. And, and heaven just opens. It's the call of God upon us. An humble heart has no problem being under authority. 
They don't struggle with authority. They're glad to serve. But a, a proud heart, they just, they just resist authority. I want to read another poem here. <clears throat> I like this poem. It, it speaks of authority. And, and I want to read it. It's called The Kite. Once upon a time, a paper kite was mounted to a wondrous height where giddy with its elevation, it thus expressed self-admiration. Look at me. See how yon crowds of gazing people admire my flight above the steeple? How they would wonder if they knew all that a kite like me could do. Were I but free, were I but free, I'd take my flight and pierce the clouds beyond their sight. But ah, like a poor prisoner bound, my string confines me to the ground. I'd brave the eagle's towering wing, might I but fly without a string. This kite wanted its liberty. This kite was going to fly high if he had just cut the string. It tugged and pulled while thus it spoke to break the string. At last it broke. Deprived at once of all its stay, in vain it tried to soar away. Unable its own weight to bear, it fluttered downward through the air. Unable its own course to guide, the wind soon plunged it in the tide. Ah, foolish kite, thou hadst no wing. How couldst thou fly without a string? My heart replied, O Lord, I see how much this kite resembles me. Forgetful that by thee I stand, Impatient of thy ruling hand, how oft I'd wished to break the lines thy wisdom for my lot assigns. How oft indulged in vain desire for something more and something higher, and but for grace and love divine, a fall this dreadful had been mine. I just think about the beauty of humility. I'm just going to say it this way, humility can fly higher than pride. Pride can't fly without a string. Pride has no wings. It's coming down. But the string makes a kite able to fly. It's another natural picture where God is calling us to beautiful opportunities of what He can do and where He can lead us. May we have that grace. There's a couple scriptures. Let me just yet read. You know, many times, brothers and sisters, we, we just can't flow like we need to flow. And there's, a, there's just a little testimony here of Ephraim. I just want to read this to you. This is Ephraim speaking. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. This is Ephraim. He said of God, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Ephraim couldn't flow. He couldn't be yoked together with anyone. Ephraim had an independent spirit. And he was a wayward child. But he said, God chastised me and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke was I. He said, turn thou me and I shall be turned. For thou art the Lord of my God, the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. 
And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed. Do you see the humility? Yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Ephraim was crying out in repentance for just not being able to flow. He couldn't be yoked up. I, I love the scriptural phrase that talks about true yoke fellow. You know, it's God's will that we would be yoked together, that we would yoke ourselves together and pull together. It, the, the power just multiplies. <clears throat> but I want to read you the next verse. God saw this. God saw Ephraim and God chastised Ephraim and he broke. And here's what God says when Ephraim broke. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Yeah, there's just good things about ready to happen here. When Ephraim humbled his heart before God. And I think it's speaking about a people here. It's speaking about the children of Israel. But God moves on behalf of an individual who humbles his heart. And on behalf of a group of people collectively. A nation, a church, a family, a fellowship. Where there's humility and a breaking before a holy God. God moves. I want to close with this thought in Luke chapter 18. And you don't need to turn there. I can just read this. This is the parable of the uh, publican and the Pharisee, I believe. And I want to give this little lesson here very, very carefully. But it's an illustration to me of how big a thing humility is with God. We want right doctrine, don't we? I mean, that's just a big part of serving God. We're jealous over right doctrine. We, we change our thinking to get right doctrine. That's, that's God's way. But I want to I challenge you. I want to read this parable. Jesus spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's spiritual pride. But it's pride. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Two men. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, he just couldn't do a good thing without tooting his own horn. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, and if Jesus tells us something, let's listen. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. I just want to ask you a question. Which one of these two men had right doctrine? Which one? It's the Pharisee. They had right doctrine. Jesus said, do what they say. Don't do like they do, but do as they say. They, they understand theology. But don't do like they do. Who had the humility? The publican did. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. That's one pattern. 
and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And I'm not going to just leave it here that doctrine doesn't matter, just be humble. I believe that the publican laid the foundation for him to change his thinking and to get right with God. This happens. But God moves when there's humility. God doesn't necessarily move when there's right doctrine is the message of this evening. God is calling us. I'm just going to say, brothers, I think we have right doctrine. I'm not saying we don't have areas to improve, but I think we believe the Word of God. We trust God. We, we trust the Holy Spirit in leading us as we study His Word. But the challenge tonight, the call is to humility so that God can move. Is your heart humble? before a holy God. Does God have liberty to move in this place? I just want to encourage us to take this message with us through this week. It'll be a blessing. And at the end of the week, let's not be forgetful hearers. I pray for humility. I tell you, brothers, I, I haven't had it. And God has brought me through some tremendous fire. And I want to tell you something about fire. It's a very scriptural thing. Think it not strange. God uses fire to purify. That's his motive. Maybe I'll read one more poem. We'll just close. <clears throat> he sat by a fire. This is God. He sat by a fire of sevenfold heat. And he watched as the precious ore, and he watched by the precious ore, and closer he bent with a searching gaze as he heated it more and more, already sevenfold hotter than it should have been, and he heats it more and more. This is God. He, he sits as a refiner's fire, and it's to purify. The sons of Levi. This is not a destroying fire. This is a purifying fire. He knew he had ore that could stand the test. And he wanted the finest gold to mold as a crown for the king to wear. Set with gems of a price untold. So he laid our gold in the burning fire. Though we fain would have seen, said, said him nay. And he watched the dross that we had not seen as it melted and passed away. And it took all that heat to get it. And the gold grew brighter and yet more bright. But our eyes were so dim with tears, we saw but the fire, not the master's hand, and questioned with anxious fears. Yet our gold shone out with a richer glow as it mirrored a form above that bent o'er the fire, though unseen by us, with a look of ineffable love. Can we think that it pleases his loving heart to cause us a moment's pain? Ah, no, but he sees through the present cross to the bliss of eternal gain. So he waited there with a watchful eye, with a love that is strong and sure, and his gold did not suffer a bit more heat than was needed to make it pure. Think about the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. You know, when they came out of there, <clears throat> there was one in there with them, like unto the Son of God. That's a beautiful <laughs> phrase. Amen. 
If you've ever been in the fire, that scripture becomes very, very precious to you. To think that the Son of God is with me in this fire. But it says when they came out, the smell of smoke hadn't even passed on them. That's a marvelous thing. And it's our desire that when God brings us through a fiery trial, we'd come out of that thing without even the smell of bitterness being on us. That we would be pure. God is calling us to, for liberty, for Him to work. I'm not going to say that He's calling us to do great things so that we can be a great person in the kingdom of God. Let, let's let that happen if it happens. But let's humble ourselves and just be a vessel that God can fill and God can use. Let's close the word of prayer. I think maybe I'm just going to open the altar if God has laid his finger on your heart. As we pray, just there's liberty to come forward. Why don't we all stand as we pray? Father, Move in our midst, we pray. Touch our hearts with your finger and melt this heart of pride and set us free, Father, so that we could be an empty vessel. We know that when you look to fill someone, you make sure they're empty. And we desire to be soft clay in your hands. We desire to be faithful. Father, have your way. Keep this lesson ever before us. I rejoice in it, Father, for all the fire, for all the trials. Father, we desire that it would bring glory to your name and that you would give us strength, give us grace. Father, we want to be recipients of your grace. We want to have the testimony that he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, your multiplied peace. Your love has no limit. Your grace has no measure. Your power has no boundary known unto man. For out of your infinite riches in Jesus, you give and give and give again. May that be our testimony. May it be to your glory. May we get ourselves out of sight. May we get ourselves further out of sight so that you have liberty to move. Answer our prayers. Encourage our heart. Strengthen our homes. Strengthen our marriages. Draw us to yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, while we're standing, sing again. <clears throat> uh, will you be poured out like wine? We'll close the meeting with that.